Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome in, friends. Josh Rocchio in for Balloon Party. Glad you're with us. I got a, I got a bunch of thoughts just right off the top here, right? And I, got, I mean, basically, I got like 40 some odd minutes to get them all in. So I've got thoughts. And I want to start right here, because as is usually the case for me, I was listening uh, to the morning show, I was listening to the crew, and they were doing a great job, and I was entertained, and I was enjoying it, okay? And they played a piece of audio from John Mosellock. And John Mosellock, like, I don't know that I hate him as much as a lot of people seem to. I do hate his bow tie. I am vehemently opposed to white people wearing bow ties. Bow ties are for people at weddings and for, like, dudes who are, like, black power dudes. Those are the dudes that wear bow ties. That's the only people. And Pee Wee. Pee Wee is allowed to wear a bow tie while he's masturbating at a porn theater. Those are the rules that are allowed. That's it. Outside of that, white people wearing bow ties are trying way too hard, and I'm very opposed to it. Like uh, like Ernie Johnson on Inside the NBA. Stop wearing bow ties. You just look stupid. And I understand that I'm not a great dressed person, but I'm also not wearing a bow tie. So when you talk about irrational things that annoy you about people, bow ties, very annoying to me. With that said, I don't know that I hate John Mosellock as much as a lot of people do. I'm kind of Mosellock indifferent because on the surface, I'm not really against all of the moves they've made, if that makes sense. Like on their own, in a bubble, in a vacuum, bringing in Lance Lynn's not a bad thing. In a vacuum, bringing in Kyle Gibson's not a bad thing. And in reality, we may not want to acknowledge it, but they did a very good job adding to the bullpen. Did they not get a Josh Hader? Of course they didn't. But they went out and made the bullpen better because the bullpen was terrible. So, like, on the surface, oh, and Sonny Gray, which is a good pickup, despite what Randy tells you every morning about how, I guess, Sonny Gray puts a bunch of puppies in a burlap sack and drowns them in the river. Therefore, Randy is just convinced that that this cat is awful. But all that said... They haven't done terrible, but they just didn't hit a big home run. That's fine. I am not anti-John Mosellon. But I heard this audio this morning from uh, him talking with the media, and now I think I might hate him. Here, play that audio, Rocchio. I, I feel like it's like something that has always been, when you look at over the course of those years, like some of the decisions that we've made that have been 
positive versus negative, there is definitely a common denominator of people that truly want to be here. And uh, as you guys can all imagine, in, in the free agent world, proxy tends to be dollars, right? right? Or years and dollars. Uh, whereas, you know, there are times where people just truly want to be a part of this organization, a part of the St. Louis community, and it, it usually ends much better that way. And so when we entered this off season, you know, we didn't go in strictly trying to chase that or look for that, but it was something that was definitely underlying. And when it, and when it showed up early, that's how we were able to get these deals done in the timely fashion that we did. I mean, as you're standing here today, the free agent market is still going, right? right? And we were able to find players that, that wanted to be here and were able to get them to agree uh, to deals really right around Thanksgiving. You got those people because nobody else wanted them. That is on its surface a lie. Not even a lie. I'm not going to call the gentleman a liar. I'm going to say he's spinning yarns. The idea that the reason why Lance Lynn is here and Kyle Gibson is here is because, boy, they wanted to be part of the Cardinal way, and we really thought they'd fit in great, and we want guys that want to be here. We don't want to chase, I don't know, actual good players that we might have to beg a little bit and pay a little bit extra for. We wanted has-beens that want to come in and actually play for us and be part of the Cardinal way. My issue with this is that of course they wanted to be here right when free agency started you approached two guys that nobody was beating down the door to sign then you sign them and then you try to tell us john q public that hey they wanted to be here we had to get these guys done we had to get them signed they had to be locked in ready to go the reality is you are frugal and you do not make attempts to sign big name people and again I'm not someone that cares so much about the money you spend. Like, you were never going to spend the money it takes to get Yamamoto, and I'm fine with that. There are a handful of teams who can do that. Dodgers, Yankees, probably Cubs. There are t- The Phillies, I think, could do that. There are a handful of teams that have that kind of cash that they can do that. I'm not some unrealistic jamoke that sits back and says, why were we not in on uh, why were we not in on Yamamoto? Why didn't, oh, why didn't we make a push for it? I, I, like, I'm not one of those guys. But when you come to me and you tell me that essentially the main criteria for signing a free agent contract with the St. Louis Cardinals coming off the worst season they've had since I've been alive, that the number one criteria was they wanted to be here. That's all you got. There isn't, hey, We made a real push, and we maybe had to overpay for somebody, but we overpaid them because we're in it to win it. No, no, we don't do that. What we do is we find has-beens who had seven ERAs basically last year, sign them up and say, hey, bring them in. Bring them in. Hey, they wanted to be here. Think about it this way. Like, Let's think about this, Rocky. Have you seen – let me try to think of a movie that involves like boy, girl, relationship, nerd – Nerd wants the girl. Like, have you seen Pretty in Pink? Yes. Wonderful John Hughes movie, Pretty in Pink. Also featured a very good song by a band called OMD, called If You Leave. Rockio, can you tell me what the acronym OMD stands for without looking it up? Orchestral Maneuvers. In the dark. Oh, okay. That is OMD. Oh, How about that? If I see you, what they're going for. See, there you go. You like them? Yeah, like so, anyway, pretty in pink, right? 
That is a story of Molly Ringwald, whatever the hell her character's name was in the movie. And then there's James Spader and Andrew McCarthy. They're like the rich kids. And Andrew McCarthy's the rich kid that's not a dick. And then on the other side, you've got James Spader, who's the rich guy who is a dick. And he's always, like, James Spader is just dick in everything he's in. Like, they don't even have to give him a character title. Like, hey, look, that's, uh, you know, John Bender as played by Judd, Nel- Judd Nelson. No, it's just dick as, per- as portrayed by James Spader, right? Right? And then you've got uh, Ducky. That's the only name I remember from this damn movie. Ducky. And he is played by, uh, what's his name, from uh, Two and a Half Men. What's his name? John Cryer. Do these, na- do so, these, do these characters have facsimiles as cardinals? Like, is okay. one of these guys John Mozalock? Okay. In this case, I'm going to go and say that Molly Ringwald is John Mozalock in this case, representing the cardinals. And then you've got Ducky. Ducky is... Every free agent starting pitcher not named Sonny Gray that they signed. So, Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn. He covets you. He loves you. He'll be there no matter what because no one else wants Ducky, and he fawns over you, the Cardinals. They want to play there. Then on the other side, Andrew McCarthy is every high-dollar, actually good free agent, right? The Cardinals should be coveting those guys. That's who they should covet. They should want like to dream bigger, like Molly Ringwald did in Pretty in Pink, because she had Ducky. Ducky was a nerd, and he's singing Try a Little Tenderness. Ducky was there. He was desperate. He was in love. But on the other side, you have like the James Spader and Andrew McCarthy, those are like the Yamamoto's and the the Jordan Montgomery's and the Snell's and all these guys who the okay, Cardinals okay. didn't even okay. attempt to be like Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald at least wanted those guys. The Cardinals are like, no, no, we have no self-esteem. We don't have any pride whatsoever. We're going to settle and we're going to take these guys before we even throw any money or any resources at the people that might actually help us. It would be an improvement. It would be like if two guys like me and Rocchio, admittedly, probably fours, depending on what part of Missouri, we may be a six. I don't know. We're not the most attractive guys. No offense. But we're not. We're kind of thick. We're, you see my nipples poke through my shirt all the time. We are not coveted by greater members of the opposite sex. We're just not. And that's the way the world works. But if you start looking at this, and all we did for ourselves was said, listen, we got to kind of know what we are. We got to know our limitations. We only are going to attempt to mate with people four and below. Well, then you're never going to mate with a seven or an eight or a nine if you don't try. And the Cardinals, for whatever reason, seem to have a very low self-worth. Their self-worth as an organization is, we're not even going to try. We just want people who like us for us. We like him because he's funny and we settled. A four settled, right? That's what they want. That's who they are. Why can't the Cardinals be an organization that says, you know what? Right now, we're like a five or a six. We used to be like a 10, but we're like a five or a six. But we should aim bigger. But they didn't. They said, nah, we'll settle for the people who want to be with us. They want to be with us. Like, that's called settling. Who wants to settle in life? Like, that's what frightens me about the Cardinals now. When I hear that conversation and I hear John Mosaloc say things like, 
Listen, they wanted to be here, so I guess I mean we're just not. That's that's it's like, okay. It sounds like the number one criteria. You don't want the Cardinals to settle, but on the flip side, yeah. was last off season where to continue with your analogy, if I uh, where I'm going to switch movies here. Where they, where they had a little shallow Hal problem, <laughs> and they decided to give a huge gargantuan contract to a player at a position there. They didn't need to give a huge gargantuan contract out at the catcher position. So would you rather them overspend and maybe go out for a girl? Listen, you could have gone. Why, why are you treating the seven like she's a nine when you could just, you know, sit back and, you know, Go with what you should. What's in your in your in your level? Here's so, right. Which, which is which is more egregious from the Cardinals last offseason when they overspent on a player they didn't need, or this offseason where they maybe didn't go hard enough on players they desperately needed? I disagree with your your okay. your premise because I have no issue with the money they spent on Contreras. You know why? Because it was it was chicken bleep money relative to some of the other deals we're talking about. You know, like it didn't feel like a bad deal. And you say you didn't need to spend money on that position. Why? He was available, and you're replacing an all-time legend, which is a huge part of your team, and then everyone just ran this dude up under the bus. You know what I'm saying? So I disagree. Now, if they would have gone out and signed some dude for $250, $300 and it was a dud, I would understand. I disagree with the premise. Again, I'm not someone who believes that the Cardinals should go out and just automatically give $250, $300 million contracts. I get they have budgets. I'm I'm not a total moron. I understand all that. My problem is when you're trying to sell people that you signed a bunch of has-beens because, hey, they wanted to be here. You know, also, another premise that I disagree with is the idea that Mosaloc says, you know, when we had to go out and beg people, they didn't turn out well. Who did you beg to come here that came here? Who did you go out and beg? Because you made trades to get most of the big-name people you've ever gotten. Like, who have you gone out on the free agency market, someone who was coveted by everybody, you begged them to come, and then it just totally bottomed out? Like, I'm truly drawing a blank. I mean, yes, you signed Contreras last year, but I don't call that a dud. I think you guys screwed him, and your pitchers ran him up under the bus. Well, when you talk about a player who didn't mesh in St. Louis with, with the fan base... Dexter Fowler. But Dexter Fowler, at the end of the day, wasn't a bad deal. It wasn't a bad deal, but... but it was the right move at the time. And I agree with that, but I think his point is that despite it being a good deal, and despite maybe Dexter being able to give this team something, even when he wasn't playing up to his contract and the back half of it, the fact of the matter is he did not fit in St. Louis, and it was a public thing where his wife's on Twitter, where he's on Twitter, where everyone, where it's a huge thing, where the fans are bashing him. He's taking it, he's taking it hard, and I just wonder if maybe that kind of reaction is maybe something he's he's getting to. Because I'm trying to think of other ones. I don't remember anything happening with Mike Leake where it was the culture of and St. Louis. That wasn't didn't a fit. bad deal for Mike Leake. But, like, but uh, we're trying to find money that that didn't go the way they would. The other ones are like Brett Cecil. I don't imagine that. I don't imagine that's the deal he's referring so to. So then in this he's case got one deal he's referring to basically Dexter Fowler cool I'm trying like, to think of other bad deals big happen. name deals sometimes things don't work out when I was in Philadelphia they signed Jonathan Papelbon and when they signed him they thought they were still going to be competitive but then you've got a t- they just collapsed they fell apart all their their great players got old really fast and the Phillies sucked for like seven or eight years and Papelbon was a disaster there at one point he got taken out of a game got booed and grabbed his crotch on the way to the dugout to people like sometimes things don't work out but that didn't stop the Phillies from signing players because well we tried to sign one one poor fit one time and like what is that if that's the case I'm not saying that's what it is but you you were only able to give me one example 
And that one example is Dexter Fowler. And yes, it wasn't a great situation for Dexter Fowler. But part of it is because he sucked. You know what would have made it a good situation for Dexter Fowler? If he didn't suck at baseball. If Dexter Fowler were even remotely good at baseball, his experience may have been a whole lot better. It wasn't a good experience because he sucked. But you can't come to me and say, well, we're not even going to try to sign big name guys anymore that are iffy about being here because, no, get your bow tied, be spectacled ass out there and sell them. Sell them on St. Louis. Of course you don't have to sell Matt Carpenter on St. Louis. He's a stiff. Nobody wants him. You don't have to go out and sell Lance Lynn. His ERA was nine last year. Nobody wants him. You signed him like the second the buzzer rang for free agency. You're like, Lance Lynn, come on back home, baby. It's like, sure. It's like, you sure you want me? Yeah, we want you. But like, no one else is calling. I know, but we want you because you want to be here and our manager can't control the clubhouse. So we need some leaders with big, beautiful beards to come in and whip them into shape. What a horrible loser mindset we have. We're not even going to try to sign players anymore. I'm telling you, Adam Wainwright's going to pitch this year. I know it. It's going to happen. Come like July, Adam Wainwright's going to be like, well, the country album didn't make it. And my folksy witticisms on TV ain't working. So here I am, guys. I want to get, my goal is to get to 202 wins. That's what I want to do. I want to get to 202 wins. The Cardinals are like, listen, he wants to be here. He wants to be here. We want him. We need that leadership. In the clubhouse. All right, back after this. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm excited because I got to uh, introduce Rockio to someone. As we were talking about the gritty, gutty white guy play. Like St. Louis loves white people. That's just how we are baseball. We love white people, apparently. Like it was funny when people were talking about it's signing just, Juan it's Soto. Basement. It's just second baseman and well, shortstops. Well, like there was no way Juan Soto was ever going to play here. He's got too much energy. He's got too much life. We have to have dull white guys who you know slide head first and stuff. Well, Scott Spezio brought some excitement. Well, I'm not saying that all white guys like aren't good. I'm not you know CNN. I'm telling you like there are good white people. But what I am telling you here is that is that it doesn't hurt to have guys who have a little fire about them, you know, on occasion. Latin guys tend to do that. It's weird. These Latin players, and this is a novel concept, they seem to enjoy playing baseball. It's a weird thing. I, I don't know how you wouldn't enjoy it's like, I playing if a sport if, for money. I wonder if Mosaloc, one of his criteria, there's two big criteria. All right, one, um, they want to be here. Two... Not necessarily white, no. but you have to act really white. Okay, there you go. Let's write that down. Three, seem like you hate baseball when you're here. All right. That's called the Matheny way. I hated Mike Matheny so much as a manager. Like, it's like the guy, it's almost like he set out every day to look like he hated being the manager of the Cardinals. He had no he joy. serious. Okay, stop. It's like he wanted to be La Russa, basically. But La Russa even had joy on occasion. Well... Yeah, yeah, the the time, he was hammered the time most he, of the time. The time he smiled when they were about to win a second World Series. Hey, that's nice. And, and it came out of freaking nowhere. Yes, if you if you if you you know snag eternity from the jaws of defeat, you'd probably smile once too. Yeah, but, but he, you know who never smiled? on the other side has David Ortiz. Just in his brain, probably for the rest of his life, just cranking 130 miles per hour off the bat every time he steps into the batter's box. That's just going through Matheny's mind for the rest of his life now every time he thinks about baseball. That's got to make you a little grumpy. 
and then they send you to Kansas City. It's got to make you a little grumpy. I mean, I'd be saying. grumpy too. That's all I'm saying. If they were like, listen, you were the manager of an elite baseball franchise that you helped kind of run into the ground by being a stiff, and then they sent you to the worst baseball franchise. You know what my favorite thing was? And this goes back to a Fesco thing. They were so excited when Matheny got there. They can tell you they weren't, but like they're all homers over there. So you have to act like everybody you hire was the right move. Oh, we got Mike Matheny now. Like, cool. You know what Mike Matheny has? Beautiful hair and a gigantic watch. That's what Mike Matheny had. That's all he had. You know what he kind of looked like? You ever see a show called Wings? 100 win season of the manager. Oh, that's great. Good. You know what? <laughs> a lot of people have 100 win seasons that's as fair. managers. I could like here's the fun thing about baseball managers. I could have a hundred win season as a manager. Baseball managers mean five wins, five losses every year. The rest of it is sea ball, hit ball, field ball, catch ball, all that. That's all it is. You ever see a TV show called Wings? Yes. Loved Wings. Antonio Scarpacci and Lowell and everybody. He reminds me of one of the brothers, like the the more mature brother on Wings. Does anybody remember? Was it Brian or Joe Hackett? It was either Brian Hackett or Joe Hackett of Sandpiper Airlines. They flew their little Cessnas, you know, and they had like a little liner there. And then like the, the Ellen, she was there. That was Crystal Bernard. And she was kind of hot, but not really hot. But she was like passable hot. And then uh, I believe the older brother would have been uh, Brian. Play, and what's his play, actual play name? By Stephen Weber. No, no, other one. The not uh, Stephen Daly. Weber. Tim Daly. Okay, Tim Daly. He had like a weird Tim Daly quality about him. It's kind of what I thought of him as. And how did how did Keith McDonald make you think of this? Oh, good. Thank you for bringing me back. So anyway, <laughs> so we were talking about Bo Hart and gritty white guys. And you go, well, Bo Hart, they love Bo Hart. I said, well, who was that other guy that hit a home run in his first at bat and had like, I think he hit like two home runs ever, but like his first was a home run. And it was Keith McDonald. Rockio had no idea who Keith McDonald this was. Is insane. Like this was, there was an era in the early 2000s, like right when we got good again. And I was like, yes, this is baseball like it ought to be, baby. And we would just have little white fellows would come up and hit a home run in their first at bat and then never be seen or heard from again. It was wild. The funny thing is, I'm pretty sure this guy, because it was just 2000, would have been backing up Mike Matheny. So uh, Keith McDonald had nine plate appearances and seven at-bats for the Cardinals in 2000. He hit three home runs. He then would have two more plate appearances his entire career, which means, Josh, that he finished his career with nine at-bats and a 1.788 OPS. But I guess he didn't want to be here. And a 329 OPS plus, which means he is... Which means he is two hundred and thirty percent better than the average player in that in that small little capsule. But from what I understand, though, and I don't know if this is true, but I've heard rumors that they had to beg him to stay, and they're like, "We don't beg people to stay here. If you either want to be here, or you don't want to be." Here. Well, I mean, Keith McDonald, who I I just found this out, was born in Yokosuka, Japan. Probably was like, you know what? I can't do this midwestern lifestyle. He's like, Get me I can't out of do here. this. I'm too Japanese for these people. He they're went, like, you're not even remotely so he Japanese. Was, he was born in Japan, and he went and he grew up all over California. The man was not going to stay in St. Louis, Josh. That was the problem. You know, and I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. That's no. okay, but and I got other things to talk about too. But oh. it's wild to me how many black players we had in the '80s compared to how many we have now. Like over the last 25 years. Like the game, and I just mean baseball in general. And I'm not one of these people that like like USA Today every year releases some sort of report that says, you know, black kids aren't playing baseball. Well, they're probably playing more fun sports where you get to do things, you know, like football, basketball. I'm sure there was a study that said that. The, what? The, the, that, that young young African-American kids are not playing that's baseball. That's what I said. I didn't yeah, make yeah. it up. Oh, yeah, it wasn't yeah, like, from the, the There was a lot of studies that said that. The yeah. of Josh Ennis here. I'm saying that I'm saying. every year USA Today releases this studies, study. Yes. And they say, well, you know, black kids don't play baseball anymore. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why, socioeconomic reasons, financial reasons, uh, 
baseball is extremely boring and requires you to stand with your thumb in your ass for four hours and do very little. Now, you get paid well to do very little. Um, but, you know, basketball is more fun. You get to do things when you play basketball. Hell, soccer is more fun. You can at least run. Uh, football, these are more fun things. It's also not impossible, like you said, the socioeconomic thing. It's a lot harder to put it, put it together a, ba- a baseball game with you know it your is. kids on the neighborhood block. You need bats. You need ball. You need gloves. You need an open enough space that you can actually you know hit a ball without breaking stuff. Yeah, like you don't need any of that in soccer, for like or, or football or basketball. It's a much more confined thing. The equipment's a lot more confined. Baseball, it's hard to get little kids to play it because it it's is. It, it's mostly logistics. for rich white kids. Yeah. I mean, that's just the reality. That's where the money is in that. That's why and baseball travel ball parents hasn't are the made, worst. Travel ball hasn't made that easier. I'm not saying AAU isn't a problem in basketball, but travel baseball and, and, and yeah, travel soccer is a huge issue, too. That's why all these travel things are so problematic. But I think baseball is probably the most exacerbated than any of those other sports. But I bring that up to tell you this. Black dudes used to play baseball and were very good at it. You, know, you go back to the mid-80s in particular, that was like the heyday of black dudes playing baseball. And none of them really sucked. They were all pretty damn good. I mean, look at this team that was here. You're never going to see that again on a major league team, especially here in St. Louis where you've got Ozzy, Willie, Vince, and that's just dudes that were in like the 85 and 87 starting lineup. I mean, go down the list. And I have a, a my my fix for baseball because I do think baseball's gotten extremely boring in this world of strikeout walk. Like these, like that's what the game is now. You either strike out, you walk, you hit a home run. It's a boring game. There's no action in it. Thank God they finally started uh, started trying to do away with the shift. The shift was the worst thing ever. But if you go back to the mid 80s, you had big cavernous ballparks where dudes were hitting doubles, triples, gappers. They were playing on concrete. It was like hitting a golf ball down an alley. It just kept going. And dudes are, you know, you, how many times do you remember these highlights of Jack Buck? Coleman around second. He's streaking for third. Like, that never happens anymore. Dudes strike out, they walk, or they hit home runs. It's an extremely boring, inactive sport now, and that's why it's losing interest with people, and people aren't as into it. We need to get back to stealing bases. That's what we need more of. We need stolen bases. And look, I'm going to sound like this part of this sounds like kind of white guy, National League baseball fan guy. We need like suicide squeezes and sacrifice bunts. And oh, I, actually, my number one solution you just want people to steal home, don't you? I do. Yeah, why not? Right. Have fun yeah, with it. Fine. Go watch the Savannah Bananas. They do it. But anyway. Benny, Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Thank he, you. Oh, totally. Uh, the Jets, uh, Jets leading off a third. The Jets stole home. But here's what I'm thinking, and this is one rule. And and every time I bring this up, people say, "Oh, that's a stupid rule," but it's a brilliant rule. And you're dumb if you disagree, and that's fine. What we need to do is you need to be limited on the number of times you can throw a pickoff to any base. And you say, "Well, Josh, but what if they throw one pickoff over there, and then they're out of pickoff attempts for that at bat?" Well, sorry, friend. Sounds like fella's going to steal second base then now, doesn't it? And that, my friends, is fun. And that's excitement. Why would elite athletes want to play baseball? You can't do anything. It's boring. So that is my main fix for baseball. You, you like I was watching. I think did Randy post this on Twitter the other day? I want to say there was an there was a, an at bat with Vince Coleman where a pitcher yes. threw over like twenty times. Yeah, that's been going around bat. right now. Yeah, 20, I think he, I think he threw over seventeen times, and then Coleman finally does. Now imagine one. if he can only throw over once. So you have to be very selective when you throw a pickoff, because once you've thrown one pickoff, that guy can take a suicide lead if he wants to, and then boom, go. That's fun. And you say, well, Josh, but that's not fair to the pitcher. Well, then never throw a pickoff. If you don't ever try to pick him off, then the game moves a little bit faster. Bada bang.
I'm actually trying to go for commissioner, me and Bob Costas. Remember that era where people like, Bob Costas wrote a book. He should be the commissioner of baseball. That was an era. Did you ever read his book? I did not know. Was it called Fairball? Yeah, I think it was called Fairball. It was literally a pamphlet. It was like 11 pages, but it was a book. And I sat down one day when I was like 12, 13 years old and read this entire book at Barnes & Noble. How many pages Fairball had? 197. It was a pamphlet. Good read. Yeah, it was a pamphlet. It was a, it was a it was a one dump read. Like you sit there and you're like I'm, I'm done. Young Bob Costas, ladies and gentlemen, on the on the 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 front of this book, I did not remember him looking like that. Why his face wasn't stretched back with string? It's very it's a I know look, it's, it's a, a very youthful guy. Costas. Like I, in a way, I feel bad for Bob Costas because like you do this whole TV gig and you're like, well, like my face right. is all over TV. I guess I've got to get horrible work done. Oh. That look, the, dude, I'm not saying this to be negative. I'm saying like just age gracefully. But yeah, but if you, what person on camera, age gra- that's what I would tell Bob Costas, age gracefully, 2024, you're baby. a man, men have that advantage, no. they age gracefully, women don't baby. age, I feel bad for women, they don't age as gracefully as men do. Botox me up. I gotta be on camera. I gotta I be on know, camera man. every like, day. Let's tighten some things. Man, look, I like let's, let's like, get rid of these crow feet. Let's let's tighten some things up. I'm with you, Bobby. Look, look Bob Don't is feel a, bad. quite a sanctimonious person, and I feel like he would dislike me, and that's fine. And he'd also dislike me if I said, "Hey, don't pull your face back with a bunch of strings no, and stuff. Just age gracefully." Screw that. Age gra- now again. I'm 37, so it's easy for me to tell someone to age gracefully. But age grace, you're not on TV anymore, so <laughs> no. just age gracefully. Technology and money is a great thing. Keep on, keep on doing what you're doing. That's All what right. I say to Julia Louis Dreyfus as well. Oh, by the way, she is an angel. She is hot. She's, I mean, she's always been hot, like sneaky hot, underrated hot. All right. Anyway, I want to talk about Jordan Montgomery in a second. Stay there. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's amazing the number of people when you take the, the time to look at the text messages that come in. Not nice people. <laughs> I don't really care because I'm a dick on the radio. So if you want to be a dick to me, fine. Uh, that's totally cool with me. But uh, I like I don't see it during the show and during what I'm talking. But when I sit here for a few minutes, I was scrolling through and I'm like, boy, not pleasant. They don't like me. That's fine, though. I don't really give a damn. Like me, hate me. Like, who gives a damn? So it is what it is. Uh, but appreciate you guys for listening. You guys are really awesome. Now, other thing. Now, here's what we got here. So... What do you got? It's just uh, the fast lane refers to their YouTube comments as the snake pit, mm-hmm. and I think that that also that also works for the, the text line. I think, in fact, in this show, I think it's kind of switched because the YouTube chat is very positive, mm-hmm. and the text line is very very negative. Isn't that wild though? Like you, you sit switched. back and you're like, you're like, what am I saying that's so offensive to you that you're so bothered by it? <laughs> Like, if this bothers you, then I'm sorry, then you're a child. Somebody said, <laughs> this guy's telling us to age gracefully. What a crock. Look, I don't think I've aged poorly. 
I don't think I've aged great. Listen, I didn't tell by by the way, I told Bob Costas to age poorly. So unless that's Bob Costas sending a text, I said just age gracefully. Don't don't have Botox and everything. That's all. Anyway, whatever. You're lucky I'm here. I'm, I'm going to go Trump on you. You are lucky oh, I'm here. Don't you are that. lucky I'm here. And I'm only here for another 20 minutes and one more day, and then it's over. And then you may never hear from me again, and you'll be sitting around one day, and you'll be like, I really long for that guy that had witticisms on the radio and was wonderful. And you'll be like, I miss him. I miss him a lot. That's going to be all you people. That said... I have thoughts on the Cardinals. I was going to say, that's me about Jordan Montgomery right now. Well, can I tell you something that bothers me? And this is not revisionist history, because I said this when it happened. I just had no platform to do it. But I didn't have a whole week that I got to spout off on the the, the radio here. But when they traded Jordan Montgomery, knowing that they were going to need starting pitching next year, I was like, well, that seems kind of dumb. So I walked into the Anthonys of the world and the BKs and people like that, and and I went to Twitter and yelled to the mountaintops. I said, if you know you're going to need starting pitching and you know this guy is pretty good, why didn't you just offer him a boatload of cash and say, hey, stay here and be with us next year? Now, the argument could be that Jordan Montgomery just didn't want to be here. That's very possible. Maybe he wanted to go pitch somewhere competitive. That's all well and good. But back to our initial conversation we were having about how the Cardinals are far more concerned with has-beens that would rather be here than people that they might actually have to persuade to come here, allegedly. I understand why they didn't do it. Because they have zero self-esteem, don't believe in themselves, so they settle for a bunch of dweebs that just want to be here. But now as we sit here nearing the start of the season and the Cardinals could clearly use another starter, why didn't you just sign Jordan Montgomery when he was here? Like, this shouldn't be that difficult. Now, if he just went to you and said, I will never play for you again, you guys are a bunch of dopes, and and he said, fine, we'll trade you. But the argument that people made for why is what bothered me so much. The argument was, well, he was going to leave anyway, so you had to get something. Name what they got. Hey, Rocchio, can you name what they got for Jordan Montgomery? Off the top of your head, what did they get for Jordan Montgomery? Um, that would have been Tacoa. No, that's all. No, that's all Baltimore pieces. See, it's, it's young. It's it's yeah, it's young pitchers. Oh wow. Oh, uh, CD Rom. No, that's Baltimore too. Young pitchers that you're never going to see. Wow. Run? And what do you need? And what do you need right now, Rocchio? What could you use? What could you use? Thomas Jacy was from Texas. Thomas Jacy. Oh yeah, that guy. He's gonna. We're winning the World Series with old Thomas Jacy. Boy, we got us a winner there. You got a guy that just pitched in the World Series, a guy who would be great for you in your rotation. You had him here, and everybody I talked to, all this, you can't look it up and then go, I was, oh, I remember. I was, you can't do I that. Was close. It was close. It was Tacoa Roby, Thomas Sejaci, and John King. They will never be anything. <laughs> a, because I don't know who the hell they are, and B, the Cardinals traded for them, so they're guaranteed to be stiffs. If the Cardinals would have traded Thomas Sejaci, he'd go out and win 10 <laughs> World Series. But my point being in all of this is I talked to all the smart people, all the smart sports radio people, and all they could tell me about this deal was, you know, you had to get something for him. Yeah, and I guarantee you, just like you had to look that up, nine and a half out of ten people that don't masturbate to baseball prospectus probably wouldn't have known who that was either, the three people they got. But you know who Jordan Montgomery is because he pitched in the World Series and he pitched very well when he was here. And you certainly could use him as a number one or a number two. But you don't have him because I guess he was just someone who you said, I don't even know that he wants to be here. He's no Lance Lynn. Boy, Lance Lynn wants to be here. He wants to be a leader. 
It's absurd. It's absurd. As we sit here today, everybody says, we should go out and make a move for, uh, we should go out, maybe we should go sign Jordan Montgomery. Maybe we should have signed him when you had him. But the general manager wouldn't do that. And I hear all these people like Blake Snell's name come up. Like, who decided that Blake Snell was an ace? Rocky, I'll answer this question. Who decided that Blake Snell is a no-doubt guaranteed slam-dunk ace? What makes Blake Snell an ace? Uh, the voters who gave him a Cy Young while only pitching five and a third every game. Five and a third. I, I think five and a third might be high. You should see what he does in the playoffs. It's like four and two-thirds. Yet somehow people are, oh, my God, we got to have Blake Snell. That's why, because if you win a Cy Young, the, the, the rationale is Cy Young, a Cy Young winner is an ace. It's the same thing Ignoring for Ignoring uh, the five and two-thirds or five and a third that he usually goes and only focusing on ERA, FIP, WHIP, and so on and so forth. It's stupid. By the way, I'd much rather have Jordan Montgomery over Blake Snell, 100%. You know what the problem is? You had him. And now you'd like to have him probably. And I don't know what the inner workings were. I don't know what they offered him, what they did, what the approach was. But all these media people in town and all the baseball prospectus, athletic reading nerds of the world, they want to let you know, hey, you got to get something for him. What you should have done is done everything you can to keep the guy because I'd argue he's much better than Blake Snell. Maybe not much better, but he's better. I'd take him over Blake Snell because at least the guy throws some innings. Blake Snell will give you three and a third of eight walks in the playoffs, and you're like, all right, we got us an ace. We got us a baller in here. That bothers me. I'm just, I'm annoyed by the fact that, like, the people that we determine are must-have people. Those must-have people that are like, oh, my God, this guy's an ace, and if we don't go out and get him. It's the same thing for what's-his-name from Chicago. Uh, the What's his name from the White Sox? Uh, uh, Dylan Cease. Cease. Dylan Cease. Everybody's convinced Dylan Cease. Like, oh, we, we failed in the offseason if we didn't sign Dylan Cease. Why? Because he had one good year? Throws a, a whole hell of a lot of pitches? It's like, this, that's how I feel about Montgomery. Montgomery is the best guy you could have, and you had him. Instead, you're like, well, we paid, uh, you know, we got Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn. Cool. Just sign the guy you had. Like, it enrages me. And I'm even more enraged by the idea that people were like, well, we had to get something. And then most of them couldn't name what they got for him because those guys are going to be stiffs and never do anything. And Jordan Montgomery pitches in the World Series. He's probably going to pitch well wherever he goes this year. I also don't believe in the concept of aces even existing in baseball anymore. You know what an ace is? Bob Gibson, a guy who you give the ball to and he goes nine innings. That's an ace. Justin Verlander's like the last of a dying ace breed, right? Like guys like that. Those are the last of a dying breed of guys who when you get the ball, you're like, listen, I need eight innings. You know what an ace is? Real talk. More so than any guy that's on the market right now that people consider an ace. Matt Morris going seven plus in game five of the, I mean, he might have gone eight, uh, going seven or eight in game five of the 2001 division series against Kurt Schilling, one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. Matt Morris went toe to toe with that man, including a strikeout looking with the bases loaded, I believe, in the bottom of the seventh or the bottom of the eighth. I forgot which inning it was. Point being, Matt Morris throws that hook on him. Bam, I think he rung up maybe Matt Williams or somebody like that. Bada bang, went toe to toe. That's what aces do. Aces don't get paid a bunch of money, win Cy Young awards, and get taken out in the third inning of playoff games. That ain't aces. We sit there and we want to throw this 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 label on so many people about what's an ace, what's an ace, what's an ace. And I know baseball's different. It's not 1967, so guys aren't going to throw nine innings anymore. I get that. You're not going to have closers that throw four innings like you're the Mad Hungarian or something or Bruce Souter. I get that. However, people want to throw out ace, ace, ace. To me, 
a guy who throws five innings a game and walks double the number of people that Jordan Montgomery pitches in similar innings pitched is not an ace. Five innings of pitching is not what aces do. And I get that baseball is a different world than it used to be, but stop trying to sell me on, oh, my God, if we don't get Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease is basically Blake Snell. And Blake Snell is a guy that walks a whole hell of a lot of people and doesn't throw a bunch of innings because he's, oh, Josh, he strikes people out. Let me tell you what happens when you got guys who strike out a lot of people and walk a lot of people. They throw a lot of pitches. When you throw a lot of pitches, you know what you don't do? Throw a lot of innings. Thank you. We'll wrap it up after this. It's Balloon Party. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So I'm reading some of the uh, YouTube comments and people are talking about Jordan Montgomery and whether or not he's an ace. I don't think Jordan Montgomery's an ace because I don't think aces exist. They're not real. It's a figment of our imagination. They just they're not built that way. That's not what baseball is anymore. Like, do you believe that Aaron Nola is an ace. Oh, uh, in today's game, he is. Yeah, because he he'll, he'll go seven innings for you. He's very good. Yeah. Uh, do you think uh, Zach Wheeler is an ace? Uh, when he's healthy. Okay. Fun fact: Zach Wheeler had essentially the same outing as Jose Quintana in Game One of the 2002 Wild Card Series. So everybody gets all hyped up on these guys. Got to have an ace. No, you have to have someone who's competent and good enough to get you to the point where you get to a bullpen. Like, like this isn't the world anymore. And I told you this when I talked to, um, I've talked to, um, uh, what's his name? We not Matt Morris, but what's his name? And I just mentioned that the uh, Kurt Schilling. So Kurt Schilling, when I talked to him once, and he was surprised that I brought this up because I'm a Cardinals fan. So it was the first thing I brought up when I talked to Schilling. I said, I said, I said, oh Kurt, Schill, as it were, Schill. Do you recall Game Five of the 2001 Division Series against the Cardinals? And he goes. Best game I've ever pitched. Favorite game I've ever pitched. Said it was me versus Matt Morris. And he basically laid out everything that happened in that game. But back then, if you knew that you had, I'd, I'd throw Matt Matt Morris to me is more of an ace than anybody the Cardinals have right now. And outside of Chris Carpenter, hand to God, I'd put him as more of an ace than even Adam Wainwright. Like, he was just a dog. I loved Matt Morris. But I think there's a mindset that certain guys have that make them, like, statistically they may not be aces or what you consider contractually to be aces, but they just have something that other guys don't. And part of that, when you see, like, a shilling when he got into the playoffs, Hall of Fame-wise, Schilling's not a Hall of Famer based on his regular season. They're fine. Dude got into the playoffs, he was just a different dude. Pedro Martinez, just a stud in the playoffs. Certain dudes were just gifted playoff performers, and they did it best when that moment was there. Some guys are the opposite. Some guys are the opposite just based on who they're playing. See, Kershaw, Clayton. Some guys just aren't there. Like I watched, I was at Game Five of the 2017 World Series. It was the Astros versus the Dodgers, and it was a fella by the name of Dallas Keuchel versus Clayton Kershaw in Houston. It's also important to note that I was extremely hammered and don't remember much of the game, and I did fall asleep in a suite before the walk-off hit in the tenth. Either way, does not matter. Point being here is that Clayton Kershaw went to the mound in the bottom of the first inning of a swing World Series game with a 4-0 lead and lost. Some guys just aren't playoff dudes. Some dudes are. 
And we're sitting here, like, getting worked up over not signing Blake Snell, who throws five innings. Blake Snell ain't ever going to be that dude. I just want to throw this out there because I thought it was fascinating. Game Because the, the Morris and, and um, Schilling battle was both game one and game five mm-hmm. of that series. The combined of across those two games for those two pitchers, it was Matt Morris pitched 15 innings, allowed 13 hits and two earned runs. Yep. Kurt Schilling pitched 18 innings, allowed nine hits and one earned run. It was sick. Unbelievable. And I believe that the last pitch Matt Morris threw in that game was either in the seven. Did he, did he pitch eight or seven in that he game? Did, uh, he pitched um, seven in game. He pitched uh, seven in game one, eight in game five. So I believe that game five, his last pitch was a, a strikeout looking and I believe it was to Matt Williams with the bases loaded in a 1-1 game because in the seventh, J.D. Drew, either the top of the eighth or the top of the seventh, J.D. Drew hit a solo home run that tied the game at one. And then, of course, Tony Womack came up and had the hit up the middle off of Steve Klein, and that ended the game, and I probably broke something. 15-year-old me threw something if I had to guess. I remember a lot of this because I used to call these games and do a recorder because I once dreamed of being the voice of the Cardinals. I have that tape somewhere. And I, all I remember is the second the hit went up the middle, I stopped trying to be a professional guy, and I just threw my stuff against the wall, and I said, I hate baseball. <laughs> Baseball's the worst. I hate it. But, you know, that's how that went. And Matt, that Matt Morse series was great, you know. But, like, people get so caught up in, hey, this guy is an ace. This guy's There are no aces anymore. The best you can get is guys who show up big in the postseason. That's why when I hear people talk about Blake Snell like he's an ace, dudes that throw five innings, sorry, here's a rule of Josh Ennis. If you average five innings a start and you walk double the number of people that a Jordan Montgomery walks, you ain't an ace, Chief. Sorry, and I ain't paying you to be one. Just a little validation here. Yeah, uh, J.D. Drew off Kurt Schilling in the top of the eighth, and then you're right, bottom of the eighth, he strikeouts, he gets Mark Grace. Mark Grace. Strikeout looking, and then, of course, Tommy Womack on Steve Klein single uh, to two out of field. Three. There it is. I got two out of three on that. One. Sometimes I like to show off my vast cardinal knowledge of uh, of the the great eras of cardinal. Boy, two thousand really quick, and I know I got to leave. But someone a video has been going around of a walk off home run that Jim Edmonds hit in two thousand off of the Mets, and it may have been off of was it off of uh, Mahomes' dad. I think that's why it might be going around. And all I remember is I used to sit in my dad's car and listen to Cardinal games down in Louisiana because you could pick up KMOX in the car. So I'd drive it up and down the block and I would do it. And I would hold up a recorder to the speaker in the car so I'd have Jack Buck audio to study. Jack Buck and Mike Shannon audio. And all I remember about that weekend, that was kind of when it became real that the Cardinals kind of are back. Because I think they swept the Mets that weekend and all three of those games ended on a walk-off. I believe that Fernando Vina had a walk-off hit that weekend. And I think, and obviously Edmonds, that was a Friday night. Jimmy Edmonds comes up there. And all I remember is Jack Buck. And, of course, his voice was a little bit weaker at that time. He had Parkinson's. He was only about a year away or so from dying. I mean, or two years away from dying. And I just remember Edmonds waiting at the dish. Here it comes, swinging a long one to right. Is it good enough? It looks like it. That's a winner on a home run by Edmonds. Six to five Cardinals. Still eight games ahead of Cincinnati. They beat the Mets for the first time this year. Yeah, tell me I'm not a Cardinal fan. Come at me, Twitter. <laughs> tell me, come and we'll fight in the parking lot. Jets and shark style. Blades and everything. All right, anyway, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Be good. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.